quick announcements, particularly regarding the um, COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Um, I'm sure you all are aware of, of uh, uh, what, what has been occurring over the last 72 hours with regard to that, particularly here in the state of Florida. Uh, the the um, classes at university have been, well, the classrooms have been closed. The classes will continue um, online until the 30th, I think. They've canceled, uh, I guess, NCAA sports. The NBA has canceled the balance of its season. Uh, and so these seem, uh, I, I suppose they could seem rather frightening. You know, in Florida, we would assume they would take rather drastic measures. Our economy relies heavily on tourism, and so we would want to contain an outbreak. Um, but uh, there are a lot of concerns. I, it's amazing. The Internet places so much information at our fingertips. It, it seems like everyone you listen to now has suddenly become overnight an epidemiologist. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I'm trying to listen to medical professionals, not politicians on either side of the aisle. They all seem to be, they all seem to have an agenda right now. So the medical professionals seem to suggest, well, it's certainly something we want to contain, but it's not as serious as SARS was. Um, it is a, a novel virus, and so, you know, we've no, uh, they're studying, and I guess it mutates somewhat every time it makes landfall, but... Um, uh, they don't have a vaccine, but, um, you, you know, just as with any flu, the elderly are more at risk, uh, and I guess the very young, or people with compromised immune systems, but, you know, it doesn't seem to be something, it's not, this is not, what was the film several years ago, um, Contagion, it's not Contagion, <laughs> but, um, on the other hand, it is something we want to be attentive to and, and we want to treat uh, with the respect it's due. And here at St. Andrews, we, have, uh, we are making, um, we are making uh, some changes temporarily. Um, the priests will all be wearing hazmat suits on Sunday. <laughs> um, uh, we, we're not. We're we're continuing to receive feedback from. Uh, I think uh, Bureau Beach has a, a medical task force, and of course we have medical professionals here, and we're consulting them. And so there may be uh, there may be changes that are made, but the others are just common sense. You know, wash your hands, uh, maintain um, distance from one another, um, social. What is they What do they call it? Social distancing. Oh. Um, and I don't, in a congregation, it's a little difficult to maintain six to eight feet away from people. Hey, you too, you need to. Uh, but um, to, to the degree that we can, we want to, uh, you know, I suppose we shouldn't hug and kiss, or I mean kiss, hug, hug and shake hands. I, I guess in some congregations they do give a holy kiss. Might not go over too well here in the state. I'm a big hugger. Um, so uh, please don't be offended if I don't hug you. Um, shaking hands, uh, this is just something we do almost reflexively, so it will probably be a bit of a job not to do that. 
uh, maybe fist bumping, or I guess I got the elbow tonight. Um, things of that sort we want to be attentive to, and we'll have, uh, we have tonight, uh, Don wanted to pray for everyone, and so I'm being shamed into doing the same thing. <laughs> we'll be laying hands on people, but we will be in between praying for people. We'll, we'll uh, don't be offended if we <laughs> sanitize our hands after praying for you. Don't take it personally. <laughs> Um, but we'll, we'll do, take measures such as that. Um, how that will impact um, uh, the Eucharist on Sunday, we don't know. It may, it may not impact it at all. Um, but I'm sure we'll all just roll with the punches on this and, and uh, we'll do what is necessary. But uh, I did, because there is so much concern among so many, I thought that tonight I would pause our series on the Holy Spirit and speak tonight on healing. And uh, uh, I suppose our approach to fear, particularly as it pertains to matters such as this coronavirus. And then next week, uh, the Lord willing, we'll return to our series uh, because I do have a special service uh, prepared um, as, we, um, as we approach the conclusion of that series of lessons. Has that been helpful to you, by the way? Oh, good. Wonderful. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead and... Oh, Susie, am I forgetting anything? No? Okay, anyone have any questions? I, I guess I should, are there any questions about the, uh, the uh, approach we're taking here or any particulars? No? Okay. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to join here tonight and that we um, are not fleeing reality. We're not ducking it right now. And uh, we, are, we are joining together in your presence. Um, and you promised to collect with us when we join in your name and to teach us by your Spirit, to minister your grace and your peace to our lives and to reveal Jesus to us more fully so that faith comes alive in our heart and allows us to trust in you more fully, to embrace your promises with real confidence, Lord. And so we are so grateful for that opportunity tonight, and we expect uh, the ministry of your Spirit to accomplish those things in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Open with me, if you will, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let's begin with verse, or actually we will read verse 27, please. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I'd like you to close your eyes right now and just imagine the Lord speaking these words to you this evening. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Those are comforting words. Made more comforting by the fact that Jesus has made available to us through his redemptive work on Calvary promises that liberate us 
from the dominion of darkness. And make us heirs together of God's very best. Of His bountiful gifts. I want you to turn with me please to Ephesians the first chapter. Paul sums this up nicely. Uh, Ephesians 1 beginning with verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What two wonderful words. And so often the apostle begins his uh, letters with this wonderful salutation. Grace and peace to you. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Let's flip over a few pages to Colossians, uh, the first chapter. Paul is explaining to us that the work God wrought in Christ through His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension purchased for us so great a salvation. A salvation that was full and complete and which touches the whole of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. Colossians, uh, verse 1, Paul writes simply, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So great was the work of God in Christ that it literally rescued us from the dominion of darkness, moved us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. There we become children of God, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So this grace and peace that Paul um, is, is uh, in essence speaking over the church of Jesus Christ. This peace that Jesus spoke of in the Gospel of John is a peace, it is a grace which has been purchased for us. It rests upon promises secured through the work of God in Jesus Christ. Matthew, the 8th chapter, we read of this redemption, particularly as it pertains to healing. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning with verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. Now, Luke explains that it was a great fever, a high fever.
he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now this was, uh, Matthew is quoting the prophet Isaiah. Let's, let's turn over there to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah 53. This speaks prophetically of the redemptive work of Christ. We're all familiar with it, I'm sure. Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote, Who has believed our message? Verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Speaking of Jesus, the coming of the promised Jewish Messiah. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely this is speaking of his uh, uh, work upon the cross and the uh, suffering he endured before the cross as, as he endured the uh, uh, beating and and shaming of the Roman soldiers. Verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. This is, is of course, what uh, Matthew was quoting from. The word here, grieves, is holy in the Greek, and it means sickness, suffering. Uh, the word sorrows is the word uh, machov. It means pain and suffering. Jesus died to rescue us from our sinful nature. Our sins were not atoned for in Christ. The blood of lambs, bulls, and goats provided for an atonement, a covering of sin. Jesus redeemed us. He took sin from us, rescued us from its uh, hold over our lives, and was able to... Uh, uh, as Paul wrote, translate us into the kingdom of his dear son, we were regenerate, born again. We became new creatures through the force of his redemptive work. But included in that, when the power of sin and death was broken over men's lives, with it sin and sickness were broken too. Sickness is simply incipient death. And its power was broken. And here Matthew is explaining uh, this portion of Christ's redemptive work when he said this healing that was wrought in Peter's mother-in-law uh, and then the multitudes that came to Jesus for healing, it was in fulfillment of this great prophetic word we read in Isaiah. To imagine that sickness or disease visits our lives 
by the will of God is a grave error. Jesus healed a woman, bowed over in the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were angered with him because he healed on the Sabbath. He said something interesting. Should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from her infirmity? This affliction, an 18-year affliction, Jesus said, shouldn't she be released now? Right now? She's been bound for 18 years. Shouldn't she be released now? He didn't suggest for a moment that somehow it was the will of God for this woman to have endured um, this infirmity for 18 years. He isolated its cause. He identified its cause. Should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound these 18 years, be loosed? Look with me at... Uh, Psalm 103, please. Just back a few pages if you're in Isaiah still. Psalm 103. Verse, uh, let's begin with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases. Do you see um, the uh, correlation between sin and sickness? Not that sickness is a result of sinning, but when sin entered into the world, we know that death entered in with it. Sickness, disease, pain, suffering, these are effects of the fall. The redemption cured the consequences of the fall for those who will believe. Uh, turn with me, please, to uh, Mark, the second chapter. Do you recall James 5, 14 and 15? James uh, explains simply to the church, if there are any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. The elders will then anoint them with oil and pray for them. And he says simply, the prayer of faith will save the sick and if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven them. Once again, we see that when sin is dealt with, sickness is dealt with. And here, vice versa, when sickness is dealt with, sin is dealt with. It is all bound up in the redemptive work in Christ. And sin and sickness are are effects of the fall. They are the work of our adversary. Should not this daughter of Abraham, this woman of the covenant, whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years, be loosed from her infirmity? In uh, Mark, the second chapter, Let's begin with verse 1. And when he, Jesus, had come back to Capernaum, 
Several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. That was fairly desperate measure, wasn't it? And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, now what does that mean, seeing their faith? Well, these men have taken rather extraordinary measures. They are so certain. What will bring relief to your situation? Hmm? Well, it's the power of God, right? Ultimately, it is the power of God. But the catalyst that triggers its release is faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So when you come here uh, for prayer, it's we're certainly trusting the Lord with you, but you must come believing. If you came to Jesus during his earthly ministry, he would have asked you, do you believe? Do you have faith? That is the imperative for those who wish to receive from God. So when you come up here for prayer, your faith is in what? I hope it's not in our prayers. Well, Father Larry's such a such a nice guy, an earnest guy, and I'm sure he knows the Lord, so I have faith that when he prays, something will happen. Boy, oh boy, are you going to be let down. Yes, I will pray. And if you were to be prayed for someone who has the gift of healing, faith is what triggers the gift operation. If Jesus required of those who came to him seeking healing faith, none of his servants are greater than the master. Faith is an imperative. So when you come tonight for prayer or when you're seeking God for the fulfillment of his promise in your own prayer closet, faith must be present. It is the catalyst that triggers the release of God's power that allows his promise to be fulfilled in our lives. So Jesus sees um, that necessary uh, element, that criterion at work here in the lives of these men who have brought their friend uh, for Jesus to heal them. Uh, verse 5, Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, what? Your sins are forgiven. Now the fellows who were with him may have went, Oh, that's nice. But actually, we were, we were hoping he could be healed. Well, now Jesus is dealing with the most pressing, most critical matter. Our felt need often seems more important to us, but really it's our desperate spiritual need that is our, our real problem, isn't it? I mean, often people will come to Christ in the midst of crisis, some personal crisis in their life, some extraordinary felt need, and they will come to Jesus. But in reality, um, their very real need is the need for a Savior. Their soul is in peril. Every one of us, we're hell-bound. 
and unable to change that hideous, horrible, nightmarish destiny. But God's work in Christ wrought upon the cross changed that destiny when we chose to believe upon him. But that was our most pressing need. So Jesus is dealing with the most pressing need. But he says something remarkable here. He treats the two as if they are, they are synonymous. As if both needs are not only satisfied from the same source, they originate from um, a single source as well. The help is coming from God. The sin and sickness, the malady, the infirmity, have come from the adversary. Verse 5, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is true. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier? I want you to read this next sentence with me, please. Verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? That's a remarkable statement. We would do well to give that some real thought. Jesus said, what's the difference? In other words, I'm dealing with the same problem. Their source is a single origin, the source of both issues. Uh, verse verse uh, 10, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out of, into the sight of everyone, went out, rather, in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's a remarkable event. But it communicates such a crucial truth. When Jesus dealt with sin, He dealt with sickness, with disease. The origin for both is the same. Satan uh, gained a place of dominion over humanity through the fall. And God in Christ wrought a redemption that liberated mankind from the effects of the fall and restored us to right standing with God. Paul, in writing to Timothy, wrote something so intriguing. God is the Savior of all men. He's the Savior of who? God is the Savior of all men. Does that mean all men will eventually be in heaven? If you're a universalist, I guess you believe that. Um, I don't think that's supported by Scripture. Jesus does seem to suggest that there is a heaven and a hell, and that there will be those who will be eternally uh, uh, with God, and that those who will be, there will be those eternally separated from God. 
God is the Savior of all men. Then Paul added this critical, um, um, this critical sentence. Especially those who believe. When Christ died, he died for all. It is available to all of mankind. Those who choose to believe. Those who humbly submit to his lordship and receive this great gift of salvation by faith. They are saved in fact. They move from, uh, they move from uh, being saved potentially to being saved in fact, to being saved experientially. Well, the same is true for the other benefits uh, of Christ's redemptive work. You know, we, we say an interesting, uh, we make an interesting remark during the consecration um, when we receive the Eucharist each Sunday. It, during the oblation, we declare, Wherefore, O Lord and Heavenly Father, according to the institution of thy dearly beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we, thy humble servants, do celebrate and make here before thy divine majesty with these thy holy gifts, as it sound familiar, which we now offer unto thee, the memorial thy Son hath commanded us to make, having in remembrance his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, rendering unto thee most hearty thanks for the innumerable benefits. Say innumerable benefits. We give him hearty thanks for the innumerable benefits procured unto us by the same. We are celebrating Sunday mornings so great a salvation, covering the whole of our lives. As we prepare to close, <clears throat> I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 26, please. Isaiah 26. Verse 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. I'm reading from verse uh, 3 here. Because he trusts in you. The King James reads a bit more eloquently. He will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. The word peace there is shalom. It's peace. It's prosperity. It's success. It's state of health. It's deliverance and salvation. It is, it is, uh, it is a peace that God is speaking over us almost as a benediction. It is a peace that pervades the whole of our lives, setting everything in divine order. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind... That's not... I'm actually singing the song from Andre Crouch now. <laughs> I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. If we set our minds upon him, he promises to keep us in perfect peace. The salvation, this... So great a salvation begins to invade the whole of our lives. Really, that's what uh, Paul was encouraging in Colossians 3, verse 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for your life is hid with God in Christ. Set your mind on what? 
things above. That's not escapism. Is there a virus that's uh, apparently spreading? Yeah. In fact, there's a case now in Alachua County. God, let's all be frightened. I'll be coming my way. And if I get it, no, I'll die. There are people terrified over that scenario. I hope I don't get it. I hope I don't get it. People have come to me as a pastor over the last several decades going in for a doctor's test. And they always say the same thing. I want you to pray that the tests come back negative. I get that. I do get that. But it's a silly prayer. Now, when would it be particularly pressing? And look, I've had to go, I, I've had to go for tests. I, I mean, according to the doctor, I died two and a half years ago. He just looked at me and said, Mr. Easton, you died. If that had been for your children, you would be dead. But God kept me, preserved me. I was literally, the, the, the cardiologist walked in two days later into my room and said, Mr. Easton, you're a mystery. There is no damage at all. The other doctors who've heard it, have, that I've shared it with, have been amazed that there was no neurological damage. You're not questioning that anymore, are you, darling? <laughs> God, God was preserving, and I had a point before I made that silly aside. <laughs> um, oh, we can be terrorized, fearful. It's such an easy thing, isn't it? Yes, that was it. I had to collect my thoughts. People will come and say, I want you to pray that my test will come back negative. Particularly if we're going in for a test for cancer. I want you to pray that it comes back negative. I get that. But you know what? If you have cancer, guess what? You have cancer. The test is going to show. You should want the test to show it. If it's true, what, what am I going to do? What am I going... Pepe, Mary Mewell had to deal with just such a scenario, didn't you? Faith is not some brand of denial. David ran toward Goliath. When he saw this towering giant, he didn't go, oh, wow, he's a lot bigger up close. I'm going to go back that way again. Now I see why the armies have been hiding in the trenches. No, the Bible says he hasted, he ran toward the giant. There was certainty regarding outcome. Joshua did not deny the reality of very real challenge present in the promised land. But he said, we are well able to overcome it. Faith does not encourage denial. We're not huddled in here tonight. Oh, God. Just, I, just want, I don't even want to think about it. I just don't want to think about it. But we've come in here tonight to be fed. That our faith might grow. That we can trust God more fully. That his peace might occupy our thoughts. 
That's why we're here. We're not hiding out from anything. We're, being, we're kindling faith in our hearts so that we can walk through those doors and confidently face whatever challenges are there. And the Lord willing, serve those who are in fear. Minister peace to them. Pray for them. And to be an example of the wonderful peace that can be ours when we trust in God. Now I hope that didn't sound too harsh, uh, calling it silly to say I, 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 I want to pray for a negative test result. Because I get it. Believe me, I get it. I've waited on test results. When, well, when I had that incident, I didn't have a heart attack. I, I suffocated. I, I fainted that morning and suffocated. And my heart shut, my, my system start, your, your system shut down if your body's depleted of oxygen. And my heart was shutting down. So that when my kids found me, I was blue and, and cool to the touch. And they, they did their thing like heroes. They administered CPR for like six minutes. Um, uh, but as I said, the doctor said, there's n nothing wrong at all. After six days in the hospital, everything's cool. But my ejection fraction rate, I think is the right term, was uh, compromised. I think it was like 25. Um, so they said, if this doesn't get up to at least 40, we're going to have to install a pacemaker. Um, so we're going to give it 90 days. Well, I went home, and I started doing three miles a day. I uh, changed my diet radically. Um, and I began claiming God's promises. And when I went in at 90 days, God had done his thing. The ejection fraction rate was where it needed to be, and they said, you're, you're good. Um, but as I lay there, my faith was in the promise of God, not that test. If the test would have come back and they said, Mr. Easton, um, it's not quite 40 yet. We're, we, we need to talk about putting in the pacemaker. I would have said, give me another 30 or 60 days because I'm trusting God. And, and I believe I would have seen God do whatever needed to be done. He did it, fortunately, in 90 days here. Um, but I totally get that. And I don't want you to, I hope that didn't sound harsh or dismissive, but I'm telling you the nature of faith is such and the God and the promises of God are such that we don't need to hide from challenge we don't need to hide from problems we can face it head on and when we get a report that doesn't correspond with the promise of God our faith remains in the promise of God even in the face of a bad report we continue to trust in God faith makes the difference so, hey, I will, I'm trusting the Lord uh, in the midst of this. Uh, if, I, if, I, if I were to contract corona, the coronavirus, um, then I will simply trust God for healing. Now I am, as I, I you know, I, I caught the flu a few weeks ago, and I realized, man, I have not been meditating on the promises of God regarding healing as I ought to, because it was a struggle to get over that. But there have been times in the past where I had really been meditating in God's Word regarding healing, and when I became sick, I trusted His Word, and healing came swiftly. So that's an obligation for I have to continue in those promises. I, I, I brought a book out on healing. It's sitting on my desk, and, and uh, that is a part of daily devotion. 
I'd encourage you to do the same. But if suddenly we were to contract coronavirus, the coronavirus, thank you, Father, for preserving my life, for protecting me, and I thank you for your healing virtue at work in my body. We'll do, as we close here, we will do what Paul urged us to do in Philippians 4. Let's, let's turn there in closing. The simple uh, matter of trusting God and prayer becomes an opportunity to simply voice our faith. Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse, beginning with verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Say that with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's, how we're to lead, that's the way we're to lead our lives. Before we begin praying, we lead a life of praise and thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again, I say rejoice. He's suggesting it's important, I think, by repeating it. He's underscoring just how critical that it is. Uh, now, in all honesty, do we do that? Do we rejoice in the Lord always? No, and so when we pray, we're not, our, we are, our minds are preoccupied rarely with the promise, but more often occupied, preoccupied with the problem. And so rather than a declaration of faith, our promises or our prayers rather often become a plea for help. And, and we're crying out because of the problem. And God hears us. He's so merciful and kind. But Paul is encouraging us to engage in a lifestyle that keeps God in view all the time. So that if a problem strikes, it's not so disorienting to us uh, that we feel abandoned, isolated from God, alone with our problem. Instead, uh, we know that God is at hand. He's near. He's with us. And so we turn to Him with a heart full of faith, trusting fully in Him. God, I thank You that You are at work in this situation. Paul, Paul continues, um, Let Your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Say that with me. Be anxious for nothing. That's a tall order in a way, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. Now, if God said, don't lie, thou shalt not lie, we would call that a commandment because it's written as an imperative, isn't it? That's the form in which the statement is made. Be anxious for nothing. God identifies his sin as sin, those things which are ultimately harmful to us. Anxiety, continued stress is unhealthy for us spiritually, psychologically, and physiologically. Be anxious for nothing. For nothing. For nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. This word supplication simply is suggesting that we um, are emptying ourselves. We are bringing no solutions to the table when we come to God in prayer, we are bringing a problem. We are bringing with it His promises, and we are bringing nothing of ourselves. We're not adding to the solution. We're not adding to the redemptive work of Christ. Our faith and trust is holy in that. <laughs> so we, we, we are anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Why do we give thanks? 
Because Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you receive <coughs> what you've asked for and you will have it. Well, if I believe that God has granted me what I've asked for in prayer, founded in his promises, <coughs> what... Don't get nervous. I just follow some saliva. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, go, I'll go up here. <coughs> um, um, if I give you a gift, your natural response is, thank you. Thank you. So when we pray, believing that we receive, our response ought then to be thanksgiving. Thank you. And that really is our prayer regarding that matter from that point forward. We're not asking God again and again if we believed that we received His promise. When we prayed, from that point forward, our prayer is one of thanksgiving. Anytime I think about that matter, I'm simply going to give thanks to God. And what happens when we do that? Verse 7, the peace of God, the same peace Jesus spoke of in John 14, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That means a good night's sleep. That means you don't wake up in a cold sweat at 3 in the morning, fearful of outcomes. When you wake up in the morning, your minds turn to Him, not immediately to your problem. It's a supernatural peace. And it guards, it mounts guard over our hearts and over our minds. We have one spiritual practice that we embrace to keep that intact. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. Things. He's just described the Word of God. He's just described the promises of God. That's where my mind needs to remain centered. I'm simply obeying what he encouraged the church at Colossae to do. Set my mind on things above, not on things on the earth. When you find your mind wishing to return to the things that might cause anxiety, you instead require them to remain focused on the reality that is Christ and His kingdom. You allow your mind to remain centered on His promises. And those promises, it, He's not contractually bound. We're not hauling Him before a court of law and saying, hey buddy, you said you would do this. It's right here in the contract. Now cough it up. No. These promises reflect the yearning desire of God, the loving heart of God to do you good. And you're laying hold of a promise made by Daddy because He's crazy about you. He loves you so absolutely. And you're simply laying hold of one of His promises. And you keep your mind centered on those truths and on that reality. Well, I'm going to close right there. I hope that was helpful for you tonight. I hope it's giving you something to think about, to meditate on. <coughs> Excuse me. That really, I just breathed quickly and some saliva went down my throat. Sorry. That's kind
kind of too much information, but I'm, I'm not coughing for any other reason. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that these truths, as we uh, make them our meditation, Lord, will sink down deeply into our heart. Will renew our minds. And will bring us peace, Lord. I pray that as we turn our thoughts toward you, as we um, allow our minds to become preoccupied with your wonderful promises, your great and precious promises, Lord, that they yield in our heart such wonderful peace and such a profound sense of your presence and your deep, deep and abiding love for each of us. I do pray for your protection over this congregation, Lord. And that your life is at work in our physical bodies, Lord. To keep us whole. To strengthen us, Lord. And we do thank you for your kindness and goodness toward us. I pray that you bless this congregation. Give them safe journey, Lord, as they return to their homes tonight. And use us all. Cause us, Lord, to be a blessing. To speak a word in season uh, to those, Lord, whose hearts are filled with fear. To minister to them life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we will be praying for you. Bear in mind, if you come up tonight, we will be sanitizing our hands.